I don't think we met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> Hello and welcome along to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Murray Kinsella here with you and I'm joined by the great Gary Doyle. How are things, Gary? Uh, sorry, you've got the mediocre Gary Doyle here, Murray. The, the, <laughs> the great one is somewhere else, but uh, I'm good, thank you. I'm very good. Just about to head off to uh, Cork for the match this evening. Really looking forward to it. I was just thinking earlier... This season, I've, I've been really, I've been lucky in terms of the matches I've covered. They've all tended to be really, really interesting, and some of them have been absolute, absolute crackers. So it's, I don't know whether it is the fact that the fans are back in the stadium for the first time. Like last last year, it was kind of soulless covering the matches. You're still privileged to be there, and it was great to get out of the house and to be able to go to the matches. But this year, I, I reckon it is the most enjoyable season. I've covered um, as a sports reporter for about 15, 16 years. It's been, uh, look, if you're looking forward to doing a, a three-hour drive to Cork, then uh, then you know you know there's something good about it. Um, the addition of the, the four South African teams has definitely worked. It is just, it is a league we're no longer apologising for uh, in the way that the English are never shy about talking up the premiership i think everybody in this country um is kind of sort of you know talking down the urc or the pro 14 as it used to be um i think that's changing now murray i really do particularly in the last couple of months the the form of the south african sides has been has been really impressive at home and it means that there's every game now carries a little bit of intrigue uh because essentially you don't want to have an away quarterfinal or an away semi-final you don't want to be heading down to Cape Town to be facing the Stormers and given the given the team that Leinster selected um, that's now going to be a possibility so mm. we haven't reached the playoffs yet but every match almost feels like a playoff now at this early stage so that's that's a sign that things are yeah. working yeah absolutely penultimate round this weekend we're chatting on midday Friday as you mentioned <clears throat> it's all going to kick off at 6pm Irish time this evening the Bulls hosting Glasgow really important game to, to look at through Irish Prism as you say you're, you're off to Cork 7.35pm kickoff on TG Carr We've got the Munster team news yesterday. Obviously, Calvin Nash and Simon Zebo in on the wings. You've got Rory Scanlon at 12, replacing Damian Dialende. Ben Heady gets a big start out half with, with Carberry dropping onto the bench and Connor Murray returns at nine. Great to see Thomas Ahern getting his starting chance in the second row. And then you've got Peter O'Mani in to captain the team alongside Alex Kandelan and Jack O'Donoghue in that back row. It's a really punchy looking bench as well, Gary. Like, as you mentioned, there's no scope for Munster here to, to mess around and, and it, remains even though it's a, a game in Cork against a Cardiff team who haven't been great this season remains a massive fixture for them the funny thing is I was just before I came on I was checking my notes Cardiff came to Toman Park last year and probably should have won the match uh, it ended mm-hmm. up 31-27 Cardiff led as late as the 70th minute in that game Murray Tomas Williams had a cracking game Jared Evans had a really good game I just can't get my head around the fact. I think the I think they're a decent team, but they've they've been mediocre this season, as all four regions have been. And I can't get my head around how bad the situation is in Welsh rugby because it's not as if they don't have a salary 
uh, or sorry, they don't have a budget to spend. They Rob Baxter made a really interesting point about a month ago. He was saying he was he was referring to the fact that the salary cap has been reduced to five million in the Gallagher Premiership, and he said the reality now that even all the Welsh regions are spending in excess of five million. So when you look at that, and you look at the fact that they have the tradition behind them as well, the fact that all four teams are outside the knockout stage at this stage of the season is galling. Like, you know, they must be absolutely mortified in Wales that that they are doing as poorly as they have. Like, no Welsh team have won the Champions Cup. We give out about Munster. Well, that, well, and we'll get to that later in the pod, but a lot of people give out about Munster having not won it since 2008. But they've still won it. Ulster have won it. Leinster have won it. It's 15 years um, since we've... Um, since sorry, in fifth in the last in the first fifteen years, there was only two occasions when no Welsh team reached the knockout stage. But in the last mm-hmm. ten years, it's only been done twice, uh, and and that's just not good enough, like you know, for a country of their tradition. Yeah, really interesting, actually. Martin and I was talking about Welsh rugby in relation to the URC during the week, and maybe the disengagement from some in that country around the competition. But <clears throat> he kind of made the point that. That's very much an online cohort. When he goes to the, the regions as they are, he feels there's a lot of energy enthusiasm. But as you say, the underperformance has been overwhelming, really. Um, and it's a big issue. There's serious dysfunction there. It's something we've discussed quite a bit. But I did want to ask you about, um, I know you're slagging yourself off as the mediocre Gary Doyle, but the, the piece you had this morning with, with Jack O'Donoghue was outstanding, rightfully getting loads of praise. I thought it was a really good read. And it sounds like he had a, a great chat. He's a guy who's been in outstanding form, Gary. And you kind of picked apart why that's the case, or, or how he's taken that step step to the next level. I suppose what did you what did you learn about that? I thought, yeah, I thought it was a really he was really engaging. And I mean, I'm not a huge fan of interviews with current players because I feel they've been media trained to within an inch of their lives. Um, but Jack was 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 brilliant uh, in terms of he was warm he was he was uh, prepared to give thoughtful answers to uh, to whatever whatever question he was asked and he was honest about the fact that there was a again it was a Rainbow Cup game last year it was against Connacht he hadn't expected to start and he was thrown in I, think, I can't remember who the injury was to but he was thrown in he had a by his own admission, he had a he had a poor enough game. I was at that match. I don't remember him being uh, being off at all. Like you know, I thought he I thought he played pretty well at the in the match, but there was a, a key moment where Munster had a disallowed try. Now, what I remember about the Rainbow Cup was that there were scraps in Munster's three matches. Uh, or shamozzles as Mihal Omar Harty used to used to describe him, <laughs> and which basically showed that they were they were mad on winning that tournament, even though it was you know a bit of a Mickey Mouse competition, uh, very strange structure to it. But Munster wanted it, um, so they beat Leinster, uh, they beat Ulster, and then they lost to Connacht. And O'Donoghue uh, blames himself for the defeat to Connacht because they're the disallowed try after he. Uh, put in a late tackle so he went away for the summer and he had a deep conversation with himself where basically he was saying right he's just got to be more tuned in uh, probably be more professional 
And but essentially, for the first time in his career, like bear in mind, he was twenty-seven when he was having this conversation with himself. He started to use a sports psychologist. It just so happened that Caroline Curd had come on board uh, the Munster backroom staff at that stage, um, and he sat down. And he he says that's the trigger that's made the difference. And there always is, there always is a turning point when a player moves to a higher level, and it's always something small. It's and this goes all the way through the history of sport, Murray. And and Jack had that conversation with Caroline, I think, in August last year, and it basically reaffirmed to him what he needed to do, which was basically just be tuned in from the moment. Uh, training starts on a Monday, and irrespective of whether you're named on the bench or on the or on the starting team, you've got to be ready just in case just in case you are called upon. And he said that was the difference to him this year. But the most interesting answer he gave for me, anyway, in the interview, he was talking um, he was talking about the fact that his first cap for Ireland was in 2017. And his last cap for Ireland was in 2017. So, I mean, it was a natural question. He's been really good this year. If you're drawing up a shortlist for Munster's Player of the Year, you know, himself and mm. Dale Landy would be, would be up there, right? So he's having a good season, but he hasn't been named in the, in the national squad. But when he was asked, he immediately said, listen, I'm going I'm to burst your balloon here. I don't want to talk about it. Uh, almost as if, you know, I've just got to focus on the job in hand. Um, I get the impression he's had a lot of hurt over the last five years when he didn't get that call. And it's probably eaten away at him a bit. But the fact is that he's not thinking about it now or he's not talking about it now, that he's focusing more on the here and the now actually could end up being, uh, have a hidden benefit because he's playing so well, Murray, that there's a really strong chance that he will get the call uh, to tour New Zealand. He's definitely in the mix even though he happens to be playing very well in the position that Ireland have got most depth in. Yeah, it was a really great piece. I'd urge anyone who hasn't had a chance to read it to, to read it, and he's definitely in that mix. Just briefly, last one on Munster, Gary. You mentioned trophy there earlier on. What's your sense of it? Because I'm curious. You've, While others were criticising Munster earlier on the season, you were quite a bit more measured, and even around Johan van Gran and the criticism on him, you've, you've been a bit more balanced with it. Um, do you think they can go and win a trophy now in the next couple of months? No, I don't think they will. Because, uh, again, the selection, the, the Leicester selection for this evening, uh, nine of the squad uh, and six of the starting team, sorry, this is for their game against the Stormers tomorrow, have 10 caps or fewer. So if you look at the table, Murray, the Stormers are in 52 points, Munster in 51, uh, the Sharks and Ulster in 51. The team that Leinster have selected to play the Stormers tomorrow is not the team that they brought to Toman Park when they beat Munster. Mm. So the Stormers could get a victory there and then Munster play uh, at the Aviva in their final game of the season. I think Munster will win tonight. I think they'll get five points. But the point being, to get to a final, you really need to have home advantage. And if Munster finish third and they have to go to Belfast, that's a tough task but we saw last week they were up to that task if they have to go to the stormers you're burn you have to bear in mind then uh if you're lucky a 12-hour journey then you've got the heat and humidity and this is for an, a potential away semi-final and then you've got you're you're going to be wondering about the tmo because there's been a couple of you know weird decisions mm. involving uh, the south african sides 
over the last uh, over the last six weeks or so. Look at the results. Ninety percent of the results in South Africa have ended in home wins. Until then, they were the four South African franchises were only winning thirty percent of their matches in the URC. So home advantage, particularly when the South African sides are the teams at home, is massive. It's huge. And like even look at what Munster have done this season. They lost to Leinster, but that's it. You know, you know rightly they're gonna win this evening. There's a consistency there. Ulster have only lost once in the URC at home this season. Uh, and that was last week to Munster when they were clearly sporting they clearly had a bit of a hangover from the Toulouse match. So it's huge, huge factors. And I think the selection this evening um or sorry, the selection for tomorrow evening's game will have a factor on the end of season table. Every point counts now in the URC. Now, then you go to Europe, they're at home, uh to Toulouse. Uh it's a really, really tough game. They might get over it, but then they've got Leinster. So if you get over Toulouse, then you get over Leinster, and then in the final you cut of La Rochelle. That's three really tough matches to win a trophy. And I don't think they're going to do all three. But to me, that doesn't mean they're having a bad season if they don't if they don't have a trophy. I don't buy into this whole thing that you have to have a trophy to sort of justify yourselves as a good team because it's it's not like soccer where uh, like this season you've you've got your three domestic trophies in the Premiership, the Premiership, the Carling, the Carbo Cup, and the FA Cup, and then your teams can go into Europe. Like you have a team like West Ham who can have a go at the Europa League, you have a team like Leicester, they're mid-table, mid-table in the Premier League and are in the semi-finals of the, uh, the Europa Conference Cup or whatever, whatever it's called, right? So mm. there's a lot more to chase in football. In rugby, there's only two trophies to chase. So therefore, there can only be two winners. Now look at what Munster, look at what Munster have done, Murray, in the last five years. The beaten Toulouse in Europe, the beaten Saracens in Europe, They've beaten Toulon in Europe. They've beaten Racing. They've beaten Clermont. If you go over the last eight finals, that's seven of the winners. And also in the runners-up, six of the runners-up have been those teams. And this apparently is a bad era for Munster Rugby. Now, hold on a minute here. Let's look at the history of Munster Rugby. When the, when the, throughout the 20th century, when there's the Interprovincial Championship, they ranked third behind Leinster and Ulster. They were not the most successful team of that century. So that's the history we're talking about, okay? But at what, the point that I've been making is that people are very selective in the great Munster history, and they're selective to the years 2000 to 2011, when admittedly they were incredible, they were consistent. They were on this odyssey to win Europe and they finally got over the line and there were some great journeys and there were some great matches and there were some great victories. But my point is, this team are being compared to, to that era. But the, 20, the 2000 to 2011 team, there was nothing for them to be compared with, Murray, because the results from 95 to 2000 or from, 99, or from 95 to 99 were average enough and I'm being kind there by saying they were average enough. The results in 2016 were fairly brutal for Munster. In the five years since, they've been consistent. They've been to three European semi-finals. They've been to three Pro 12 or Pro 14 finals and another three semi-finals in, in the Pro 12-14. That's consistency. That's pretty good. It's not as good as 2004 to 2011, 
but they shouldn't be given the criticism that they have been given. And for me, the most critical, the most critical voices have been the monster players from that 2000 to 2011 era. And mm. I'm, you know, it, it just doesn't sit well with me that Van Graan has, and he's listening, he's not a personal friend of mine. I don't know the man well. I don't, I'm not, you know, here to defend him. I'm not his PR man. But I have to ask the question, if Van Graan was a monster born man, would he get the same level of criticism that he has received? Yeah, really interesting question. And and he'll hope to finish on a high over the, the next couple of weekends and, and indeed months. Just to, to touch on the other games, and we'll get into all this on Monday's podcast with Bernard Jackman uh, for members of The 42. It's members.the42.ie if you want to get involved for the, the usual kind of Bernard Jackman breakdown of the games. He's outstanding on that front. Connacht are up in action on Saturday, 3.05 p.m. Irish time on TG Carr. They've made six changes to their team. Unfortunately, they're not in the, the playoff hunt but that is going to be a tough game against the Sharks. Mac Hansen going again at fullback will be really interesting. And we'll get into that with, with Birch. But that Stormers-Leinster game you mentioned, Gary, that's 5.15pm on RTE. Second versus first, but obviously far from Leinster's first team. They've rotated again. They're using their squad. Cormac Foley gets his first start at scrum half. Max O'Reilly and Rob Russell from the academy. They get starts in the back three. And you've got Michael Milne back on the bench. But the big talking point is, is Kieran Foley at 10. How excited are you to see how he goes in, in that slot? Yeah, I think he's brilliant. I love him. Absolutely love him. Uh, the crossfield kick last week for Tommy O'Brien's try. Yeah. Oh my god. It was like watching uh, it was like watching a Gaelic footballer at his at the peak of his career. He is such an exciting talent and you know, he's not a kid, like, you know, he's I think he's played fifty times for, for Leinster at this stage, but he, you want to see him at 10. It was a bit like I wanted to see Mike Laurie at 10 last week and it didn't go well for him, but that doesn't mean you should abandon that experiment forever. So even if it doesn't go well for Frawley tomorrow, let's see it again. And um, like it's within, it's Leinster's prerogative to pick whichever team they want to pick. And one thing they have done is they've shown up. They, like last week they picked a side that was criticised in South Africa, yet they really give it to the Sharks. And I mean, they were, they, they were one decision away at the end um, from getting the victory. Uh, and also there's an intercept try in the middle uh, in the middle of that defeat, which kind of turned the game. If that hadn't uh, happened, I think they would have they would have won the match uh, relatively comfortably. So they turn up, they always deliver. They've been an impressive uh outfit for the guts of uh for the guts of six years now and Mm. what and they're always in a constant in a place of constant evolution murray they're always thinking one step ahead and this is the perfect example of this as i said nine players with 10 caps or fewer in the side like harry byrne is the ninth most experienced player in their squad and that's hard to believe because it still seems like only yesterday that harry byrne was making his his debut for the province like so yeah yeah there's there's a great plan in place there mick dawson when we were interviewing him earlier in the year the leinster ceo was saying that the thing that that really impresses him about leo cullen's leadership is how he is always planning for the future as well as planning for the present and he's always in a position where he is keeping players as happy as is possible when you've got such a big squad. It's very hard to keep 50 players happy, but the way he does it is he 
does things like this. He gives he gives players opportunities, and I think that is what has given Leinster the edge uh, over the course of the last few years. Because when Jimmy O'Brien, like Jimmy O'Brien, has been incredible this year, but he's been he's been uh, brought along slowly. Like you know, plenty of home cooking dates against. To start off as dates against the likes of Zebra at home or Zebra away, Treviso away, the Dragons away, and then they give him a, a, a test year game, uh, and then they build it up to a Champions Cup start or an interprovincial game. It's clever the way they allow their players to mature. They do it at a at a at a gradual pace and it works. There's always a plan. And they've earned their right to rotate, I suppose they have a nine point cushion at the, the top of the table. Um, and as you mentioned, they'll have that Munster home game to come. Last but not least, I suppose, three Irish provinces is, is Ulster. They're 7.35pm against Edinburgh away on Saturday evening. Another huge, huge game, given that Ulster lost at home to Munster last time out. They find themselves fifth with worries about that home quarter final. A uh, couple of tweaks to their team as well. Lowry returns to 15 and Billy Burns is back in there. Nathan Doak gets a start ahead of John Cooney. And you've got uh, Gareth Milosinovic in a tight head with, with Marty Moore missing, Gary. This really is squeaky bum time for, for Dan McFarlane. Yeah, because again, I don't want to completely bore the pants off everyone with it, but I'll make it a brief history lesson. In 2019, <laughs> remember that cracking game against Leinster at the Aviva when Stockdale failed to touchdown when he got over got over the try line. They lost that. Then the hangover from that hit them when they went to Glasgow away in the in the Pro 14 semis. Glasgow put 50 points on them, Murray, in that match. 2020, that brilliant away win uh, in Edinburgh. Then they get to the, the Pro 14 final. They start well. Hume gets an early try. But again, Leinster sort of school them. They're a bit too street smart, win it comfortably enough. A few weeks later, the hangover kicks in away to Toulouse, and all of a sudden, that campaign's over. Last year, Leicester away should have won the match, didn't win the match in the Challenge Cup semis, and when it got to the Rainbow Cup, they 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 were they just didn't didn't do anything in that competition whatsoever. Now, the way the manner of the Toulouse defeat so painful to to Burr because they should have they should have. They they were the better team, you could argue, over the two legs. Certainly in the away leg, they should have won by more than six points. To go out to Toulouse in that manner by a point, that was clearly a factor last week against Munster, good and all, that Munster, as Munster were in that match. But it was a factor. And all of a sudden, you're looking at their fixtures and you're going, they're going to have to win against Edinburgh and they're going to have to beat the Sharks to not just to get the hope of a of a top two finish, which would give them a home quarterfinal and a home semifinal, but their fifth place, it's really tight at the top. To get hmm. the last place they want to be is in fifth place and going for an away quarterfinal, which at this stage would be away to the Sharks. So you just don't want to go to South Africa for an away quarterfinal in the URC. It's it's just far too difficult a route. Not just to win that quarterfinal, but then to have the uh, emotional capacity to get yourself up and then to win an away semi-final a week later. So these are these are massive games this weekend. And and, and that's great for the competition. Uh, and it's great for us as observers. Um, but yeah, squeaky bum time. Not great for uh, Dan McFarland. Yeah, the pressure is 
<laughs> Indeed, yeah. This is even more stressful than their usually stressful jobs. It's going to be a cracking weekend. Last big one to mention is Ireland women's final Six Nations clash with Scotland in Belfast on Saturday as well. Great news for them with Sam Onhan back from injury. She's been outstanding in the second row. A couple of tweaks to, to Greg McWilliams' side. But again, we'll get stuck into all that with Birch on Monday as always. Just a reminder again, it's members.the42.e if you want to sign up and join us. Pods every Monday and Wednesday on the rugby front. And a great time to join up now with Gav Casey in New York for the Katie Taylor fight. Gary, not the worst perk in the world for Gav. Yeah, it's actually... Uh, uh, it's. I was lucky enough, I covered a, a fight in a world title fight in Madison Square Garden in 2012. It was always a dream of mine to do that as a reporter, but that was in the theatre, which is the smaller of the two venues in Madison Square Garden. And anybody that's into their boxing, uh, you know, you want to, and if you're a reporter, if there's one place you want to be, it's covering an Irish fighter in uh, in the garden when they're when they headline the bill, and it's it's. Uh, yeah, it's a great opportunity. Gav's stuff has been brilliant this week. It's been really good reads all week. And I'm looking forward to the fight tomorrow night. I'm not terribly optimistic about Katie's mm. chances, uh, which will probably get me lynched for saying that. But I think she's up against she's up against two things. Uh, a very good opponent in Serrano and also up against time, Murray. And it catches up on every sports star, even the... Even the greats. Yeah, sure does. A tough weekend for a few Irish athletes on that front. Listen, we're going to leave it there. As I said, back Monday with the members pod if you want to get involved. Gary, thanks a million. Enjoy your weekend. And you, Murray. Thanks very much. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. Have a brilliant bank holiday weekend and we'll catch you all on Monday. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could have me five million a year. I wouldn't go. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie Robbie Weekly.